It's not unusual to find plenty of wine caves and wine cellars in wine country. What is unusual is discovering a sophisticated broadcast facility inside these well-protected and often top-secret chambers. But maybe it really isn't that surprising that America's number one wine broadcast originates from the soul of wine country. And it is our great privilege to do all we can to inspire you. If you drink wine simply because, well, it's a drink, we've got our work cut out. For literally thousands of years, wine has fueled celebrations, ended conflicts, and provided the ultimate connection between one human being and another. It makes food taste better, lifts spirits, sparks our imagination, and beckons us to slow down and love life. If that all sounds good to you, you're in the right place. So sit back, clear your head, put any worries you have on hold, and join us as we go in search of this week's Grape Encounter. But be warned, we speak a much different language than what you typically experience in most wine-centric environments. But you didn't come here because you're ordinary, did you? Good, because your host, David Wilson, is here to take you far, far away from the beaten path. Here's David. Did you ever have one of those days where you just feel plain weird? You just, you know, you just feel strange from head to toe. It's just been a very weird week for me, a very weird month. Who are we kidding? It's been a weird year so far in 2021. And 2020, of course, was a mess. (laughs) So I thought, you know, why don't we just go with it? Let's just go with the weirdness and let's get into the weirdness of wine. I mean, why not? When our parents were drinking wine, there were six or eight wines that they drank. That was it. You didn't go to a grocery store and have an aisle that had 500 or 1,000 wines. That was unheard of. But today, not only do we have those grocery stores and, of course, package stores or big box stores that sell an enormous amount of wine, but now the wines are getting very wacky. And I don't talk about that on the show because, you know, I'm kind of conservative, I guess, where wine is concerned. So when I get into a wacky mood, there is somebody that I have to call upon because I feed off of him. He feeds off of me. And wackiness goes wild, and he is Wes Hagen. And Wes Hagen, if you haven't ever listened to Grape Encounters, then perhaps you don't know him. But um, if you have, you know him. Or if you are just plugged into the wine world, you know him because he is a fabulous winemaker at Jay Wilkes. He is an educator. Uh, He is a speaker. He is a wine judge. He is a hippie, for sure. And he is here with me right now, Wesley. Hey, I've been weird for 51 years, so I've, I've got a, a couple extra days on you if it's just been weird for a year. But um, always, always exciting to talk to you. You always have some really amazing subjects to, uh, to dig into. <laughs> and I am, I am a big proponent in drinking any type of wine anyone thinks uh, tastes good when they put it in their mouth. I've been a wine professional for 25 years. I only know three things about wine. I smell it. If it smells good, I go to step two. Step two, I put it in my mouth. And if it tastes good, I go to step three. I drink it. And that's it. 
it, you smell it, you taste it, you drink it. You smell it, you taste it, you drink it. Sometimes you don't even have to smell it. Sometimes you don't even have to taste it. As long as you're drinking it and enjoying it, that's the most important thing about wine. Weird or not weird. But today, let's get weird. Let's no, we are, we are definitely going to get into the weirdness of wine. And I don't think there's a book out there called The Weirdness of Wine, so perhaps we should write it. Uh, you know, some of the wines are only weird because they're not conventional wines. We don't hear about them very much. But then others are the byproduct of people smoking something, I think. I don't know. There's just some strange things that people are, are doing with wine. But one of the things I wanted to say, Wes, is people feel like they need permission to drink certain things. And what I mean when I say that is, is that if, if they're not drinking Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, or just the, the big popular wines out there, they kind of look at you after they've told you that they had Gruner Veltliner, and you kind of get that look like, that's okay, right? Oh, yeah. No, as a certified, uh, you know, and uh, uh, a certified priest of Bacchus, let me just say that Bacchus wants all of us to drink all the wines out there. Uh, that uh, understanding that variety is the spice of life, and the more that we drink and the weirder wine we drink, that's going to help us understand those kind of blue chip wines, the Cabernets of the world, the Chardonnays of the world. Um, a lot of what we don't drink as Americans are because we can't pronounce the name of the grapes. <laughs> right, the right. Greek grapes, uh, Kurgenic Kastelensky, which is actually Zinfandel. It's a lot easier to say, forgive me, Father, for I have Zin, than it is to say, forgive me, Father, for I have Kurgenic Kastelensky. So part of it is uh, our American ignorance as far as other languages. All right, okay, okay. I've got to show my American ignorance right now because I have no idea what that is. Oh, Kurgenic Kastelensky. It's the grape that became Primitivo and Zinfandel. So uh, as far as the, uh, the studies of this grape, it turns out that we were wondering what the difference is between Primitivo and Zinfandel and Primitivo and Kast uh, Kurgenic Kastelensky, which comes out of the Transcaucasia area sort of... Uh, in Eastern Europe, turns out they're exactly the same grapes. All right, so, now wait a second. But where does uh, I think it's called Plavis Mali come from? That I don't know. I would have to. Well, that's do a the cro research. that's the Croatian version. Oh, sure. It's just probably a different. It's you know I think uh, the term I used might have been um, Slavic. So. You know, I don't want to get in between the Croats and the Slavs because you know what happens. Oh, isn't this great? Listen, look at the culture that you're all getting today. He's speaking Slavic. I'm speaking Croatian. And you're all going, I think I'm going to turn on something else. No, you're not. We're going to get into some really fun stuff. Okay, so I will start this off, Wes. Well, you actually did just now, but I'm going to throw something at you that is starting to gain popularity. And I bet you that 99% of the wine drinking population has never heard of it. And I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's a Piquet wine, P-I-Q-U-E-T-T-E. -E. And you actually look a little bit puzzled there. Have you heard of it? We obviously have to be on a Zoom call because you couldn't see me if we were just talking over the phone. But yes, unfortunately, um, I'm, I was more um, familiar with the Roman pronunciation of this wine. Uh, it was actually very common to make piquette, which is you basically take the skins of your leftover pressed wine and you have two cho choices. You can turn it into grappa by rehydrating, adding sugar, producing alcohol, or you can rehydrate the grapes, add sugar, and take it to a second pressing, which is going to produce a low alcohol, low extract, low flavor style of wine that would have normally been given to slaves in the Roman Empire. <laughs> okay. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly what it is. And apparently, they're starting to sell a lot of it, Wes, to people who are going green, you know, who are looking for the least possible 
amount of waste. And people are going, well, wait a second. You know, we've got all these skins and stuff here. You know, why don't we use it again? It's kind of like making a cup of coffee in your Keurig pot and then running another uh, cup of water through the, the same thing. You'll get something that looks like coffee, right? But it's, it isn't coffee. It's a wonderful idea that we are somehow saving precious resources by doing so. And I don't know enough about beet sugar and cane sugar production to know if the sugar being used uh, is grown in a way that would add any specific ecological improvement to the earth. Um, I do see those skins. I mean, normally you can press them uh, into bricks. You can burn in a pizza oven or you can feed them to hogs. But making more alcohol out of them seems like a pretty good idea to me. Any, any way that we can squeeze a little more uh, pleasure and alcohol out of, uh, out of those, uh, that fruit. I should say about it is they are, for the most part, frizzante, if not sparkling. Okay, so okay. they got some fizz to them. And that's what people really enjoy. But uh, we're going to take a break here for a second, Wes, and we're going to talk about another wine that kind of is in the same style, but because it's low in alcohol, people are buying it so that they can chug it. What do you think about that? Well, I've never had the problem of not being able to get drunk fast enough. So I, I enjoy session beverages um, over very long periods of time. Um, I like to keep my wits about me. I'm an alcohol professional, so I'm around it a lot. Um, lower alcohol wine, lower alcohol products, beer, lager, you know, uh, crispy, clear beers. That's kind of my thing. So uh, if there's something out there that could increase my ability to just sort of session some wine over uh, a couple hours, I'd love to hear it. Okay, we're going we're gonna to talk about that in just a second. We'll be back with my guest, Wes Hagen, in just a second. We're talking about weird wines today, gang. You know, things that you don't normally hear us talk about on Grape Encounters. In fact, you don't really see it around too much, but it's out there. It's fun. And you know what? Why not give it a try? We'll return in just a second with more Grape Encounters. Many wine enthusiasts describe wine as a kind of time machine that can transport you to the place and time it was created without leaving home. Whether you're sipping a Sangiovese from Italy or a German Riesling, tasting is traveling. That being said, Total Wine & More is like the world's biggest airport. With more than 8,000 wines from every corner of the world in their stores, you can be incredibly adventurous and savor every journey. Plus, you can do all of your shopping online at TotalWine.com and pick up your order at your local store or curbside for the ultimate in safe shopping. There's always more in store at Total Wine & More. In Greek mythology, we learn the mysterious connection between walnuts and wine. When Dionysus, the god of wine, fell in love with Princess Caria of Laconia, her sisters tried to prevent the romance, so Dionysus turned them into rocks. He also turned his beloved Caria into a walnut tree. She was, after all, a hard nut to crack. At mmorganics.com in Paso Robles, California, walnuts and wine is the ultimate love story. You'll flip over their 100% organic port-style dessert wines and organic heirloom walnut products, including sprouted snacking walnuts in five awesome flavors, irresistible raw organic walnut butter, 
free trade chocolate-covered walnuts. And for bakers, MM Organics produces 100% gluten-free walnut flour, estate walnut oil, and of course, their crazy delicious raw walnuts. Get all their products online at mmorganics.com. That's mmorganics.com. tell you something i have had a, a handful of experiences with grappa which is made from you know all of that leftover stuff after a wine is pressed i don't like grappa and frankly i can't stand it i'm gonna be honest with you but i guess they're making this thing called piquette wine now and i i'll be honest i have not tasted it but from the descriptions that i've read and i have read many it sounds pretty good i'm gonna give it a try uh, Wes Hagen is with me. He is our resident wine expert. He's also a fabulous winemaker, and he's also the ambassador for the Miller family of wines. And they make a ton of different wines, but you don't make a piquette. We do not make a piquette yet, although I have shipped skins away to make grappa. And the grappa that we made out of the Clopepi Pinot Noir was not only worth drinking, it was one of the best spirits I've ever had in my life. Really? Um, great grappa. If you don't like grappa, go out there and try to find a grappa made from either Treminer uh, or maybe Riesling or oh, Moscato. Okay. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, the varietal is going to mean everything, right? Uh, aromatic whites make the best grappa, but Pinot Noir makes the most earthy um, sort, of, uh, sort of anise kind of uh, flavor. Um, I'm not a huge black licorice fan, but that little hint of anise and that Pinot Noir grappa was pretty spectacular. So in Greece... That's what they do. They add anise to it, and I forget what they call it, but it's... Uh, ouzo? No, it's not ouzo. I, I, it'll come to me, but anyway, they add anise to it, and it tastes pretty good. Without the anise, it tastes pretty antiseptic. Okay, we're going to go on to the next one, and I have heard this pronounced a number of different ways. It is sometimes pronounced gloglu. It is sometimes pronounced gluglug. Are you familiar with that one, Wes? It is Baby Yoda. <laughs> yeah, no. So it came out of France. And I guess that there are now wine shops and bars and all kinds of places that have taken on this name. But anyway, these are wines, a particular style of wines, but they're considered to be refreshing red wines. The red wines that can be chilled, light bodied reds, low in alcohol. There's, they're made with the carbonic style of fermentation, and um, they're also natural wines, you know, no additives of any kind. And um, they're made from a lot of different wines, but, some, but they can be blends of things. Like I'm looking at one here, which is 50% Pinot Noir um, and 50% Chardonnay grapes. And why not? So basically what you, what you have going on here is probably picking the grapes at elevated levels of acidity so you can have lower alcohol, higher acidity wines to stay fairly stable in the bottle. Um, so there's not a lot of uh, need for sulfites. If they're low alcohol, 10 to 12%, you're picking them weeks, if not months in California before you would be picking wines. They're looking for full ripeness and extract. Um, it makes sense because uh, Nouveau Beaujolais is delicious to drink right when it comes out. You don't have to wait for it to go through um, malolactic fermentation, which is going to soften the wine and make it taste like most red wines you've had. One of the only red wines in the world that is made without 
this malolactic fermentation is nouveau Beaujolais, so this gore glue. It's glow glue or glug glug, which, by the way, basically means to chug. It's a chuggable wine. That's what right. it is. And again, I never think of wine as a chuggable be- a beverage. If, if, if I want to chug something, it's going to be a crispy, uh, you know, a crispy beer. But uh, again, there are some places where the wine is the most important thing in the world. Um, the question is, why would I want to make an underripe, high acid sort of natural style wine uh, when I could let the grapes hang for full flavor character and put the wine in bottle with three to four percent higher um, ABV? If you look at the history of wine, the history of wine is making bigger and bigger, higher alcohol, higher extract wines. Say what you will about Robert Parker. He's the end game. Uh, since Pliny the Elder and Cato were in the Roman Empire talking about wine. All right, so, but, but I'm going to interrupt you for a second because uh, this is exactly why so many people are kind of shying away from wine. There is a whole group of people, and they tend to be the younger people who are looking for lighter styles of beverages. And that's why we're, we're seeing these, um, you know, these canned beverages, spritzers and things like that, that are becoming very, very popular. So that's kind of what's going on here. But it seems odd that, you know, on one hand, they, they want a lighter experience, but on the other hand, they're drinking a lot of this at the same time. It seems to be self-defeating to me, but you know what? I, you know, there's no accounting for those kids out there. Well, and wine's probably healthier to drink than beer. I don't think there's a, a better delivery mechanism as far as the medical benefits or the lack of medical deficit of, of drinking wine. So if you were drinking wine with higher alcohol, uh, lower alcohol and higher acidity, you'd be producing alkaline ash for your body. So chances are it would be a very healthy way to drink. And it's probably appealing to some of these kombucha drinkers who like to drink their kombucha at 1% or 2% alcohol. Yeah. Now they're drinking their wine at 6%. No. Saying it's healthy and drinking more. <laughs> Nobody really likes kombucha. They just say they do, but it kind of tastes interesting. I do want to go. Two or three that were amazing. We just got a couple of minutes here, but I want to go to the other end of the spectrum because you were talking about the big, bold wines. And you know who does that, I think, better than anybody? It's the Italians. And what I'm talking about are basically three wines Appassiamento, Ripasso, and Amarone. And Basically all made with the same technique. Go ahead. I'll let you take it. You're the winemaker. So, okay. First of all, uh, European wine grapes, basically the vines that make all the grapes that make wine in the world, produce fruit that has the highest amount of fermentable sugar than any plant on earth. So if you want to make the strongest booze in nature and you don't have a still or a distillation technology, you're making grape wine. Then on top of it, we've determined certain techniques as winemakers to even make stronger wine to challenge the yeast to the point where the yeast dies during, during fermentation. Uh, Rapasso, all this stuff, we're drawing the fruit. We're, instead of freezing the fruit, we're drawing the fruit on racks or straw. We're uh, basically turning it into raisins and we're making wine out of raisins. And that's exactly, so the wine has a porty, raisiny, high alcohol flavor. And I would agree with you that the Italians are the masters of this style. And by the way, I should say this, that Amarone, which is really one of my absolute favorite wines, can be very expensive because they're basically using twice as many grapes to make it. So it's not unusual to see an Amarone for $150, $200. It can be that. Once in a while, you'll see them, you know, in discount wine places for you know, $29. And that's really, really a low price for an Amarone. On the other hand, though, um, the other wines that I talked about, the the Rapassos and the Apassiamentos, 
Those, and I'm not sure why they're so much cheaper, but you can get those for $19. And um, they're, they're much less expensive. And I guess they're less labor-intensive to make is part of it. But do they use less material to make it, Wes? Well, my feeling is, is the Amarone is probably the equivalent of champagne, and the other two are the equivalent of sparkling wine. You know, if it's Method de Champenois, it's the same production technique. The difference is Amarone probably has to be grown in a specific DOCG, which is a denomination okay. of, of place. So it's it's just a matter of are you going to pay for champagne of the same quality as a California sparkling wine? Yeah, you know, if you really want a fun and interesting and weird wine experience, they've been around for a long time. But for Americans, there's something pretty new, and you're starting to see more of them. So it's Apasiamento, it's Amarone, and it's Rapasso. And basically, we're using concentrated fruit, and it makes for a wonderful wine experience. And you know what else makes for a wonderful wine experience? To be able to do this show with Wes Hagen, my buddy and one of the true experts in the wine world. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. When we think of sommeliers, we naturally think of wine, right? Well, not so fast. Did you know there are sommeliers for milk, salt, mustard, and even chocolate? Thanks to endless food shows, off-the-wall cookbooks, celebrity chefs, and Google, of course, meals have become so imaginative that wine pairing can be as daunting as it is delightful. And that's one of the best reasons to make Total Wine & More an essential part of your culinary adventures. With more than 8,000 wines from every corner of the world to choose from, Total Wine & More can make mealtime magical. And no matter how exotic or off-the-wall your meal may be, your Total Wine expert is all about finding the perfect match. But if you just want a little inspiration without leaving home, you can log on to TotalWine.com for awesome food pairings, enticing discoveries, and online ordering. There's a world of wine in store at Total Wine and more. We're back with more Grape Encounters. Hey, please do us an enormous favor and like us on Facebook. It's the very best way to learn about other opportunities that we may not share on the broadcast. Also, join our mailing list on GrapeEncounters.com. Listeners on our contact list receive some exclusive opportunities. Become an insider. Enough said. Here's your wine captain, David Wilson. All right, so uh, some of my wine friends kind of make fun of me because lately I've been drinking something that I just really love. It's just delicious. And I'm going to tell you what it is in just a second, but I got to welcome back Wes Hagen. He's an amazing guy. He is a tremendous winemaker. He makes the wines at Jay Wilkes, part of the Miller family of wines. But more than that, he is just an expert in wine. He's a teacher. He's created so much content. He's always online educating people, and he does what he can to promote wines in so many different ways. I just can't even begin to tell you, ah, Wes. I'm a groupie. So kind of you to say, and thanks again to the Miller family for keeping me employed through uh, all of COVID and letting me sort of pivot from being out in the market in 30 states a year to being in front of my computer, you know, a couple times a week doing wine education. It's, it's very meaningful to me. And they're obviously committed to keeping wine education on the very front of who we are as a company. All right. Well, I have a story to tell you about something that happened last Sunday. 
It was a pairing that I did, and I thought it was a good idea, and it turned out to be a great idea, I thought. But I have told a few people about what I had at the dinner table, and they kind of snickered at me, Wes. Well, being snickered at is not nearly as bad as being three musketeered, so I think you ended up being okay. <laughs> oh, I get it. Snickers versus three musketeers. <laughs> it was an attempt at humor. All right. I don't think that you are going to look down on me for drinking this wine, which is becoming very popular again, again. Oh. This was extremely popular when our parents were first. Talking like Lancers or Reunion? Boy, you're right almost there. You're almost. Cold Duck. Um, uh, Hold on. Lambrusco. Lambrusco. No, no problem. I mean. I've been drinking Rosa Regale, which is a brachetto, which is very similar to that, a, a slightly sweet uh, Italian-style red wine, either bubbles or no bubbles. There's no reason to look the other way from Lambrusco. I think it makes a beautiful wine. It's a little minty. It's a little unusual. But, you know, in a culture where we throw crazy stuff in cocktails to hide the flavor of delicious alcohol, tasting yeah. wines that might have interesting secondary or tertiary characteristics, I think, is a fantastic thing to do as a human being on the planet Earth. So this is a wine, though, that is really making a comeback in America because you didn't see it for a really long time. But if you've not had Lambrusco, let me just say, first of all, it's effervescent and it's, I think, generally more frizzante than bubbly like a, a sparkling wine or a champagne. I'm not sure, you know, I've never made it, so I'm not sure what the distinction is. It's going to be red, it's going to be light, and it's going to be sweet, but like the one that I had on Sunday night, it wasn't oppressively sweet. It was nicely sweet. And Wes, you know what I paired it with? He's, he's, mm. Oh, he's thinking. Um, this kind of, you kind of inspired me, I will tell I would, you. I would probably, from my food wine pairing, I would probably put it with a duck breast with like a nice like raspberry slightly that's, sweet glaze I, or something. I think that's a good choice. That's not what I did though. I paired it with uh, some really delicious Thai food that I made. Ooh. Because it's probably a little lower in alcohol, right? And the sweetness is going to play off the chilies. Well, yeah. And my Thai food was a little on the sweet side. God, it was delicious. Absolutely delicious. You know, these, I don't like to call them sweet wines. I, th- I think there's the late harvest wines, which I call stickies, because that gives a really nice kind of a visceral idea of what it is. And then you have sort of wines that are sweet, and then you have wines that are more on the off-dry side. And I would say Lambrusco would probably go in between off-dry and sweet. There's certainly probably 12 to 15 grams or one and one and a half percent residual sugar in there, but it's not going to be a wine that takes you out of being able to have it with a savory dish. Now, here's something that Everybody needs to know this is an Italian wine, all right? You're not going to get Lambrusco from California. I don't think we could call it that, right? Maybe you could. It describes the grape, and then there are a lot of different types of Lambrusco grapes. What's interesting about the grapes is that the vines are very prolific, and this was one of the things that was so coveted about the Lambrusco grape vines is that they produce a ton of wine, an immense amount of wine, so they're very productive and very delicious. So and anyway, not all that expensive. No, they're cheap. And there's the key, and that's the reason probably why California is not trying to step up and steal the thunder from another European wine wine region like we did with Chablis and Burgundy, that if they've got the market covered and the bottles are $12.99, you know, you can probably buy the best bottle of Lambrusco in the world for 25 bucks. Why are we going to go through the process of planting the grape and trying to reinvent the wheel when they've got that covered? It's like, 
Does the world need another Budweiser? I don't think so. Craft beer makes sense. So I want to squeeze something else in kind of transition here for just a moment, because as long as we're in Italy, we should really talk about Prosecco. Now, I know Prosecco isn't anything weird, but there's a weird Prosecco now. Uh, At least it's weird because it's new, and it is Rosé Prosecco's. And they're really new on the market. And the reason for that, as I understand it, is because they weren't permitted to make a rosé prosecco, that it was forbidden by law, or at least by the standards that the winemakers in Italy have to abide by. But then they said, hey, yeah, why not? Why not? Why, Sky? And they're now making this rosé. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, they put things like Pinot Noir in there. There's two ways to make rosé. Either you press off the skins without a lot of contact, or you take a white wine and you add some red wine back to it. My guess is they're probably adding a little bit of red wine back to the traditional grape of the Prosecco That, that is what they're doing. And I'll have to say, it's interesting to see the EU right now between Bordeaux adding seven new grapes for non-numbered growths, adding different grapes that you can grow in Bordeaux legally all the way to Italians, because, you know, when I was a young winemaker in Italy, all the young winemakers were all really angry because uh, the EU and the local people who control wine would not let them do what they wanted to, which is play with Cabernet Sauvignon, play with Merlot, play with Syrah. They had to use the traditional grapes. Those hardliner traditionalists are starting to slowly die off. And I think the younger winemakers are gaining some more control, enabling them to open up their regions to the grapes that they want to grow. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah, no, I think that's a great thing too. So that means more interesting wines coming down the pipeline. We got just uh, one more that I can do on this segment, but I think this is a really interesting one. I just had a bottle of this the other day. It's made locally here on the Central Coast, but they're showing up all over the place. It is a type of wine, a very weird wine, that is bridging the gap between beer and wine, and it's hopped wines. And they're actually... you your face <laughs> that was priceless your face Wes you just gave me this great look but anyway no what they're doing is they're adding hops to the wine and I guess they boil the hops first like they do with the beer and then they put it in and they ferment it with the wine and you get this really interesting wine the winemaker that I tasted this wine from was Buttonwood they're somewhere between where I'm at right now and you're at Wes and they make some really good wines but it was a Sauvignon Blanc that was hopped. And I would have to ask Karen Steinwachs, who's the winemaker down there, what inspired her to do that. Santa Barbara does have a long history, in fact, a history probably longer than Napa Sonoma, of making cannabis wine, uh, which is very similar to hops. To me, I would say cannabis wine makes more sense because at least the cannabis is going to have an impact on my head. Hops, to me, is just going to pull me away from the somewhereness and the craft of the wine. I have to admit, I'm not all that interested. All the other styles that you mentioned, I'm all in. Trying to make a beer wine hybrid doesn't make all that much interest well, to me. If I want a beer, I want a beer. If I want a wine, I want a wine. I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying, but that's what they're doing. And frankly, I think you should try it before you throw an opinion out there, Wes, because I think you're going to actually be surprised. It's really pleasant. And when we come back, I'm going to tell you a story about when I combined beer with wine for somebody very important in the beer world. And so we'll have that next when we return with more Grape Encounters. And my guest, he's the guy I turn to when we talk about weird stuff. It's got to be Weird Wes. Wes Hagen is with me today from the Miller family of wines and also winemaker at their Jay Wilkes facility. We'll be back with more Grape Encounters right after this. Even though I spend almost every waking hour trying to track down all things wine, 
it takes nearly superhuman powers to keep up with the folks at Total Wine & More. I remember the first time I ever set foot in a Total Wine & More store, my jaw literally dropped to the floor as I tried to comprehend the astonishing wine, spirit, and beer offerings that were suddenly at my fingertips, wonderfully organized for super easy navigation. How do they pull off such an amazing feat? Well, it all comes down to an incomparable team of experts that constantly searches every corner of the world for amazing products priced so you can enjoy them on any occasion. Total Wine doesn't just sell the same old, same old. They're always busy forging relationships with outstanding producers on every continent so that they're able to provide exceptional wines that are exciting and new to you at incredible savings. New discoveries, must-have favorites, and more than 8,000 wine choices that you can even explore from home on your laptop or phone. Explore Total Wine in whatever manner suits you best, in person or if you've come to enjoy that curbside experience, you can order online at TotalWine.com and pick up your wine in the store or just outside if a contactless experience is your preference. And make sure to check for special opportunities that are always plentiful at TotalWine.com. There are always plenty of reasons to get excited about your next Total Wine experience. We like to talk about wine. Did you know that there's a lot more going on in the world of Grape Encounters than what you hear each week on the radio show? If your answer is no, it means that you're not as plugged into our wild, wacky, and wonderful world of wine. But we can fix that right now. I really want to share a lot more with you than what we're able to do during the weekly show like wine recommendations, interesting ways you can play with your wine, information about upcoming wine happenings, and even recipes I've developed just for you. There are two things you can do to get plugged in. First, join the Grape Encounters Radio group page on Facebook. Make sure it's the group page. Or you can sign up for our mailing list at GrapeEncounters.com. In coming weeks, I'll be doing giveaways, offering free online parties exclusively for you, and a lot more. Please don't miss out. Connect with me on Facebook or at GrapeEncounters.com. And we're back with Grape Encounters Radio talking about weird wines and who better to join in the conversation than Wes Hagen. Wes Hagen is a phenomenal winemaker and nothing weird about your wines, right, Wes? No, I mean, I try to make a more traditional European style of dry wine. I've played around with other styles. I've played around a little bit with macerated white wine or orange wine. But what I find is science works. Natural wines tend to go bad on the shelves. And we want to put wines into the market that make people happy and that are delicious. Yeah. Well, we were talking uh, a few minutes ago about hopped wines and I gave you one example because it was one that I actually have had and I really love it and I know you kind of went uh, let's keep beer over here and wine over there and I get it but I want to tell you a really quick story as you know I have a wine shop and one of the things that I love to do is I love to blend wine in my shop well I also started experimenting with blending wine and beer and to be specific I blend usually a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and then I like a citrusy beer like a Ballast Point Grapefruit Sculpin and I really love that beer so I, I started just blending those and people were going wow this is actually pretty good so this guy walks in one evening with his parents his parents had been here they had told their son 
about this mixing that I did, and he wanted me to do it for him, and I did the whole thing, and he was just like totally enthralled, and at the end of the thing, he tasted it, he loved it. I said, so what do you do, by the way, for a living? And he points at the can of Ballast Point and he goes, I make that. Wow. And he was like the head guy, the head beermeister over at Ballast Point, which, by the way, sold around that time for a billion dollars. Yes, a billion dollars. So they make some pretty good beer. But Wes, there are some other wines I wanted to throw in here. We haven't had a chance to talk about them. But wine is a very, very flexible item that can be morphed into a lot of different things. I've had some really good cocktails that are made with wine where they use use wine instead of spirits and those work out pretty well but there are also some really unusual things that are just all about wine like have you heard of gick blue wine i can't say that i have i've just been studying traditional wine styles too long Okay, well, it arrived in the U.S. just recently, I think in just the last couple of years. And it's made with red and white grapes from vineyards in La Rioja, Zaragoza, León, and it's Castilla-La Mancha. And anyway, the grapes are mixed with organic pigments partially derived from grape skins. And they get this blue wine. It's really an electric shade of blue. Is there any flavor difference? Have you had one before? I have had blue wine, and I don't know. It just made me feel so sad. Well, you, you know, you can, I felt blue. You, you, I, you can definitely put on uh, some John Lee Hooker and have a good time. It's gimmicky. That's all it really is. And we also have actually at my wine shop, we have a blue bubbly. And the way that that gets its blueness is they add blueberry skins. Empress gin. I mean, all that, you know, I yeah. guess maybe the, the success of some of these blue cocktails and blue gin have had something to do with yeah. it. So do you want to throw some wines out there, the specific ones that you think that people ought to consider? Well, I mean, I would say for me, the two more legitimate weird styles right now out there are probably Pet Nat, which is a oh, yeah. natural style, which is basically a wine that basically naturally finishes its fermentation in the bottle. It might be a little hazy. It might be a little rustic, but it has some big bubbles and it's a lot cheaper than buying a good champagne, but it's a rustic style, but I think it's kind of fun. Portugal and Spain have had naturally sort of petulant wines forever. So Pet Nat might be another um, subject. Also, they're a little less expensive because they generally close with a crown cap and not a cork. So it's kind of open and fun and go and drink it at the beach and have some fun. And then the other style I would I would say is orange wine, which is white wine that's made in the same style as a red wine. So you leave the juice in contact right. with the skins. The skins soak up a lot of the phenolics and the character of the skins. And the wine has a much waxier, much more intense uh, richness and a waxy character to it. And I think both of those styles are a little bit closer to the style of wine I enjoy drinking. You know, your company made what I would consider, it was an odd wine. It was an oddball, but I really loved it. And then you stopped making it. With and the I'm wine? No, I'm talking about the Smashberry White. The Smashberry White was also one of my favorite wines because with about 12 grams of residual sugar, it's a little higher in residual sugar than a wine that I would normally drink. But it had Riesling and it had Moscato and it had all these wonderful, great white grapes in it. And I found it was like the best wine for spicy food, for Thai, for Mexican and the cuisine I normally move off towards beer. But that was a fun wine. We did bring Smashberry White back, but it is a varietal Chardonnay. 
that's influenced with 5% Viognier for a little bit more floral character. So it is a white blend, but it is a dry, lightly oaked Chardonnay that's really meant to show off the primary. All right, I, I just, just got to ask this. Why would they do that? Because people just went bananas over this wine. They loved it. Really, it. They we, loved it. It was a broad market wine. It was all over the United States. And we found that the Smashberry Red was blowing up and the Smashberry White was not as popular as the Red. So we discontinued or de-seed uh, the Smashberry White. Honestly, I bought a couple cases of it so I can continue drinking it. And if you'd like me to bring <laughs> it along, I would, lo- I would love to have a bottle of it. It's so good. You know, we've got to wrap it up, but I just want to end by saying this. When we talk about weird wines, the real trend that I think we have to talk about, it's just the whole category of sweet wines. Through this whole pandemic thing, I have noticed, and there's just no way anybody's going to convince me that I'm wrong. People are drinking a lot more sweet wine. They're asking for sweet wine specifically. There's been a movement in that direction. And I just think it's because it makes you feel good. It's warm and reassuring. 10 seconds on sweet wine. We will never know how important it is until you get off the coast. The same type of anger to coastal elites politically is the same anger that they have in the middle of the country for people who only want dry wine. You go to Iowa, you go to Ohio, and you see the wines that they're creating from fruits, what we call country wines. They are sweet, and that's the way they like them. Yeah. Um, and I will say, drink what you love and love what you drink. Yep. And that is going to be the last word here on Grape Encounters. I sure appreciate you being here, Wes Hagen. You would go to what? Miller Family Wine. Wines.com, or you can go over to Facebook and look up either Wes Hagen, Wes and the number four wine. You'll find me. All right. Or, you know, yeah, just Google Wes Hagen. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters today. Always a great day when Wes is on. You know what? Uh, Go explore, get weird, get wacky, have some fun. You know, just let your hair down and explore the, the very broad world of weird wines. They're coming at us fast and furiously, and you should be in on it. That's going to do it for us today. We'll be back here next week. This edition of Grape Encounters has been brought to you by Total Wine and More. When Total Wine and More challenged themselves to keep more than 8,000 wines on hand, they pioneered a consumer experience that 99.999% of the population would have thought was impossible. It was an undertaking that I still can't totally get my arms around today. But I've spent many hours of my personal time being that adult kid in a candy store, using my mouse to learn about their extremely affordable top 20 wines of the year, or learning eye-opening details about the iconic winemakers behind Total Wine's Legends of Wine collection. TotalWine.com is an online resource so rich with content, it's hard to imagine a more satisfying wine-related experience. Spend all the time you want at TotalWine.com or at your nearest store. Just make sure you're back here with me at the same time next week for another Grape Encounter. 